listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. I talk, I'm going to talk about this today. I've been thinking a lot about it because I'm getting ready to work on a new book to release to you guys that's, that's going to deal with this. And so I've been thinking a lot about it. But uh, you saw me put in the title, 99% of Christians don't do this, and they should. And um, that's what I want to deal with today. What is the thing that the majority of Christians never do that they should be doing, that they should be doing? Um, let, me, let me break it down for you this way. Um, I know within the body of Christ, we have different denominations. We have different... Um, um, camps, if you will, you know, you got Baptists and then within Baptists, there's Southern Baptists, there's funda- independent fundamentalist Baptists, there's free will Baptists, there's missionary Baptists. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of breakdowns in that. Then you got, you know, Presbyterians and Methodists and church of God and assemblies of God, uh, international Pentecostal, uh, you know, what is it? The IPHC international Pentecostal holiness church. You got the UPC. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different denominations. And so you've got all these different uh, belief systems and uh, most believe the same fundamental doctrines. Some uh, deviate a little bit, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of differences within the body of Christ. And so I can understand the, the, uh, the different camps, if you will. Now, the, you know, we are Pentecostal word of faith believers. Pentecostal word of faith, charismatic Pentecostal believers. We believe in the Holy Ghost, everything that he did in the book of Acts and in the gospels, he's still doing today. We believe that. We believe that the apostolic gifts are still working, miracles, signs, wonders, speaking in tongues. Uh, We believe none of it ceased, none of it's done. But I will tell you this, that it's not very, um, it's not one of the largest groups uh, in Christianity. And so um, I understand that, that there's, you know, probably far more Baptists and far more, um, you know, Presbyterians and, you know, whatever the Orthodox denominations are. But there are hundreds, uh, I would say there's now in, in America and around the world over, I would, I would say over one, I think the, the last time I checked, it's like three in the world, like 300 or 400 million um, like Christians, if you put it, if you put everything together with Catholics, it makes up almost 2 billion people. So Catholics and and Protestant Christians together makes up almost 2 billion people on the earth today. Um, But I understand that not everybody is uh, like a word of faith Pentecostal Christian. But what I want to deal with today is when someone's a Christian, one of the mistakes that people make a lot of times, and good morning to everybody, um, People are still logging on saying good morning. Um, one of the things that people do sometimes in Christianity is they'll look at Christianity as it's a, 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 whole, a whole lot of things that you cannot do, right? They look at Christianity as a rule book. You know, it's like, well, I know I can't do this. I can't do this. This is the religious mindset that you see often within Christianity. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. That's the common religious mindset. But really... Christianity is an empowerment to the believer. 
This is what many people don't realize. Christianity is an empowerment to the believer. And I'd love for you to put that in the comments uh, this morning, first thing, and in your notes, Christianity is an empowerment to the believer. It's, and, and it's a wrong way to look at it and say, well, you know, Christianity it just means I can't do this. I can't do this. No, no, no. Christianity is an empowerment to the believer. It's a blessing. It's an eternal blessing. It's an eternal empowerment for every person that comes into the body of Christ. And so one of the mistakes that people can make often is to look and always be viewing their Christianity uh, from that viewpoint of here's what I can't do. Here's what I can't do rather than allowing Christianity to empower you to do what you are called to do and to, to not focus on the past. We don't keep turning around looking at the past and we don't look at it in a negative light. My eyes, your eyes should be on the goal, the mark that we're running towards, right? The mark of eternal life that we're running toward. Um, not only that, we should be working as the apostle Peter commanded us to do to confirm our calling. I am working to confirm my calling. What does that mean? I'm empowered to take actions that sinners can't even take. And I'm working to confirm my calling. Did Christ call me? Yes. Did Christ call you? Yes. But now I am working to confirm my calling. And one of the things that I think is excellent, and I think that we need to push this more and more and more, is this thought process, this thought process of uh, kingdom culture. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that today. Kingdom culture. This is what most Christians do not do that they definitely should do that will change the way they view Christianity and it'll change the way they live their life and it'll change the way they make an impact in their generation. That should be every one of us. Changes the way they view Christianity, changes the way they view their life, and it changes the way they view their impact in the kingdom of God. So many times people are continually looking, and this is without question, this is the religious mindset of, of, of religious Christianity. Uh, it's like it's a rule book. Um, this is, I can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. No, I'm empowered to do something God called me to do. And so as we're working to um, confirm our calling, as the apostle told us to do, I feel like one of the best things that any Christian could do is to understand or form, and that's why I'm working on this book right now, is to form an effective, um, what I would call, uh, not a mission statement, but almost like a culture code. In fact, put that, put that uh, phrase in the comments, a culture code. It's like, what is that? It's a code of conduct, code of conduct that defines your Christian or kingdom culture. A code of conduct that defines your kingdom culture. And, I, and, and it's important to be able to articulate it. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. It's important to be able to articulate it. You say, uh, what does it mean to have a code of conduct that defines my kingdom culture? I'll tell you. I was reading, I was reading something, and this was very mind-blowing to me. Do you know when you come into the body of Christ, your whole identity changes? And I know you know that. That's Paul's revelation. That's Paul's revelation of truth. The in Christ revelation. In fact, if you go back, I did a broadcast. Um, I think it was entitled something like the most important Christian revelation there is. And I was dealing with the new creation realities. 
Paul's revelation of being in Christ, right? And, and so when you understand that when you come into the body of Christ, your identity changes, you're not even the same person that you used to be. The, uh, the Bible's, you know, it's not like God just comes in and duct tape, duct tapes your spirit up and fixes you up a little bit, a little bit of a new paint job. No. Second Corinthians five is very clear that if any man be in Christ or woman, he is a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old life is gone, passed away and behold, all things have become new glory to God. All things have become new. So you're not even the same person. You have a new identity in Christ. Praise the Lord for that. You have a new identity in Christ. Well, that should change the culture of your life. And you know what the sad thing is, is many people actually allow ethnic culture to override kingdom culture. You know, they're more hung up on this is the African-American culture. This is the Latino culture. This is the, this is the white culture, whatever, whatever you grew up in. And sadly, a lot of people let their ethnic culture override their kingdom culture. And, and it's, it's a sad thing because kingdom culture should be first on your list first over everything. You know, the, it's the, it's the, we will not bow culture, right? doesn't matter what everyone else is doing in our family in our culture. It doesn't matter what the norm is. doesn't matter what we were raised to think, what we were raised to do. We leave that. We leave that culture and we come into the kingdom and the kingdom has its own culture. The kingdom has its own culture. So I'm not allowing, um, my family culture, my ethnic culture, even my regional you know, this is what people, this is what people in, in Pennsylvania do. This is what people in West Virginia do. This is just what people in Maine do. You know, we're like this, we're, we're Mainers. You know, don't allow the, the culture of your even region or geog your geography to override kingdom culture. Because what people do in your area may not be, it might be contradictory to the kingdom. What people do in your, in your ethnic culture might be contradictory to the kingdom. What people do in your family culture might be contradictory to the kingdom. So when I say we need a code of conduct for our kingdom culture, it's a set of things that you can articulate that define how you act and react in the kingdom culture. And that's why I'm working on a book because obviously the thing that defines it's the word of God. The word of God is our objective truth. So it defines our actions, right? And so uh, I was praying and I was, um, I was in Texas praying for God to give me a word for the service that I was in, for the meeting. I was in a revival. And I remember like praying in the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden while I'm praying, the Holy Ghost hit me with this entire code, this culture code for the kingdom. And it was for people that are in the body of Christ and especially for those that are active in the body of Christ, meaning you're doing something for the Lord actively. And I don't care if that means you're in the full-time ministry. I don't care if that means you're volunteering at your church, whatever it means. If you're in the kingdom and accomplishing a purpose for God, these apply to you. These apply to you. And so Aaron remembers. She said, I often pull from the H9 broadcast you did. So helpful. And I'm finally getting to the place where I'm going to be working on 
being able to work on this book to release because I know it's going to help churches. It's going to help Christians. It's going to help volunteers. It's going to help ministers. It's, it's going to help everybody. And the Lord gave it, put it in my spirit. He put it in my spirit. When I was looking for a word for the service, he actually gave me a word for the people. And, um, I want to deal with that today. So I was, I was, um, reading something that was, it was more of like a, a business marketing strategy style book. And, um, it was, and I'll tell you what it was. It was the book by James Clear, Atomic Habits. And I was reading that book, which you should read it too. It's a great book. But I was reading that book and something stuck out to me, which if you've heard me deal with this before, it really is a life-changing thought process. It's a Christian principle, but it's a life-changing thought process. And he was talking about the research uh, on people who were trying to stop smoking. And uh, he said that they really fell into two different groups of people. Um, and he said the first group of people that tried to stop smoking, when they were offered a cigarette by someone, they would say, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. And those people, that group, would always fall back into smoking again, always. He said the research was abundantly clear that that group of people couldn't stay free from cigarettes. They would fall right back in. Sorry, I'm, no, no thank you, I'm trying to quit. But he said then the other group of people, they didn't say I'm trying to quit. He said the second group of people, when they were offered a cigarette, their response, no thanks, I don't smoke. Think of the difference between those two. No, thank you. I don't smoke. So, so look at what was the main difference, right? What's the main difference? The main difference was identity change. Identity change. Put it in the comments. Identity change. The first group of people identified as, you know, I'm a smoker, but I'm trying to quit. I am a smoker, but I'm trying to quit. The second group of people, no thanks, I don't smoke. What, what is that saying? No, no, I'm not a smoker. I'm not a smoker. Oh man, that'll change your whole life to get this. The one group still said, no, I am a smoker. I'm just trying to stop doing it. Whereas the second group, I am not a smoker. No, thank you. I don't smoke. And they, he said the second group was able to successfully stay free from cigarettes. Notice, and he said there was another, another guy that was having the hardest time eating properly, exercising. He said, I couldn't do it. I would try to diet. I would try to live a life of healthy eating and exercise consistently. And he said, I would just keep failing and failing and failing. He said, but I realized it was my mindset. I was thinking about it the wrong way. He said, I was thinking like, oh, man, I'm unhealthy. I need to change. This, this was his thought process. I'm unhealthy. I need to change. And so he said, as long as that was his identity, that as long as that was his thought process, he would always fail. But then he said, I changed it. I changed my, uh, the name, Elaine, the name of the book was Atomic Habits by James Clear. Atomic Habits. He said, but he changed his identity. And instead of saying, I'm unhealthy, I need to exercise. I'm unhealthy. I need to eat better. I need a diet. He said, I changed it. And he said, my, what I said now he said, I changed my identity to start saying to myself, I'm an athlete. And even though he wasn't playing any sport or, uh, you know, a professional athlete or any of that, he would just say, start begin to say that, but I'm an athlete. And so you know what he would say? Athletes don't eat that. Athletes eat this. Athletes don't stay home on the couch. Athletes go work out. And he said, when I changed 
the identity of who I am and started to see who I was in a different light. It changed my actions. No, athletes don't go and, and, and eat that every day. Athletes eat this. Athletes don't stay home. Athletes go to the gym. Athletes run. They don't sit on the couch. And he said when he changed the identity of who he saw himself to be, it changed how he acted. It changed his life. It changed his habits. Identity. It's funny because I don't even know that James is a Christian, but it's funny because scriptural principles show up in these books all the time and people don't even know their Bible principles. But see, this is something that um, the Bible teaches throughout the New Testament. It's, it's cool to me to see how uh, Paul would keep reminding uh, the believers of this. For example, for, let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which we, we talked about the other day. But um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he is telling them the same thing that any Christian would hear. Paul is encouraging the church to flee from sin, right? Flee from sin and specifically here, flee from sexual sin. That's what Paul is, is talking about in 1 Corinthians 6 at the end of the chapter. Flee from sexual sin. And then after uh, he encourages them to flee from sexual sin, he reminds them of what? Their identity. This is it. It's not just saying, uh, you know, you're all a bunch of sinners and you need to quit sinning. No, 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 no. He reminds them once again of why, because the identity is there. Look at first uh, Corinthians six and I'll read verses 18 through 20. Look at his argument. Look at his thought process. Paul, Paul writes, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now look at verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know? that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Notice he uses uh, the identity of who they are to get their mindset to change. He doesn't just hammer them, it's wrong. You know it's wrong and you're gonna go to, no, he said, don't you remember? Your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. Don't you remember who you are? Don't you remember that the Holy Spirit is living in you? Also, don't you remember that you don't belong to yourself? That Jesus purchased you with his own precious blood and bought you back and now you are in the body of Christ? That's why you don't connect your body to sexually immoral sin, right? Because you are part of the body of Christ. So he's reminding them of their identity. He's changing their mindset. Man, that's, that is a life-changing reality. When you see, it's not him standing there condemning them. You bunch of sinners need to get your act together. No, that's not what he's doing. He's saying, don't you realize you're not sinners? Isn't that, what a, what a different way to look at it. He's not standing there going, you bunch of dirty, filthy, rotten sinners. You need to quit your sinning. You need to shape up, snap it. No, he doesn't do that. He says, don't you realize you're not sinners? What are you doing sinning? Do you realize you're not sinners? You've been purchased with the blood of Jesus. You belong to God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. He is flipping the whole script and reminding them you are different than you used to be. 
Your identity has changed. You are no longer dead in trespasses and in sins, but now you've been brought out of the darkness into his marvelous light. You're a part of the body of Christ. See the difference. And then your mind and your spirit come together. Your mind gets renewed with the word of God, right? Your mind gets renewed. So it's no longer, oh man, I'm just a, now you're like, oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I have no business in sin. I have no business uh, contradicting the word of God with my life. I have no business going down that path and doing those things. Why? No, no, I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. God take, brought me into Christ's body through the blood of Jesus that was shed for me. And then when you start uh, realizing that, it's a whole mind change. It's a whole identity change. It's a life change. It's a life change. And so what I'm talking about today, amen, Liz, isn't that powerful? Michael's watching from Honduras. Thank you, Michael, from, for watching. And, and think about this. When you get the identity change, then you start to realize, okay, now go back to that other, those other examples I just gave you. No, thanks. I don't smoke. No, I'm not staying home. I'm an athlete. So look, they're looking at the positive side. Not like I'm a smoker trying to quit. No, no, no. I don't smoke. I'm healthy. I'm an athlete. I exercise. I eat properly. That's my mindset. That's my identity. That's who I am. So before I get into this, let me, um, th that is true, Aaron. Sometimes the heart and the spirit are interchangeable. And sometimes the mind and the heart are interchangeable in scripture. And you got to understand the context when you're reading it, but let's go real quickly over to, um, before I jump into these, let's go over to Romans chapter 12 once again, because see, I want to show you this. This will change everything about your life. When you catch this revelation of identity change, identity change. There's people that get saved because the gospel pulls them in and they confess with their mouth. Jesus is Lord. They believe in their heart. God raised him from the dead, but they've never been taught new creation realities. They've never been taught identity change. So they keep saying stuff like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. And the identity change has to happen for your whole mindset and your whole life to turn around for good or else you'll struggle. You'll struggle thinking I'm unworthy. I'm a sinner. I'm just, I'm filthy. I, I mean, I'm just, no, that's not who you are. And see the devil wants to keep you there, but that's not who you are. Romans 12 verses one and two. Here's the real, uh, thing that happens. I'm about to read you the, this is the process. You ready? Romans 12, one and two. I appeal to you, therefore brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse two, you ready? Here we go. Do not be conformed to this world. Hmm. Now, let me stop there before we read the rest of verse two. Do not be conformed to this world. He's not writing to sinners. He's writing to Christians. So you know what that means? He's saying that it is possible if you're not careful for Christians to be conformed to this world or the Greek here, this age. Do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to this world. So what he's saying is it's possible for Christians if they're not careful to be conformed to this world system. And then he gives you the alternative, but instead be transformed glory to God by the renewal of your mind by what 
the renewal of your mind. By what? The renewal of your mind. By what? The renewal of your mind. I'm saying it over and over to get it in your spirit. Because notice, and this is the point, if your mind doesn't get renewed, then you will conform to this world. Come on. Let me say it again. If your mind is not renewed, you will conform to this world system. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what? What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? Glory to God. That's powerful right there. That's a whole revelation all by itself. That's a whole revelation all by itself. Don't be conformed to this world. So what is it? So understanding if as a Christian, if, if my mind's not renewed to who I am in Christ and to what the word of God says, without fail, I will conform to this world system. That's why there's Christians. People don't understand it. How can you, you ever heard this question before? How can you be a Christian and think like that? You know how? Because they've not renewed their mind. That's how. How can you be a Christian and, and, and believe in those things? How can you be a, a Christian that believes in abortion? How can you be a, how can you be a pro-choice Christian? I'll tell you exactly how, because they've not renewed their minds to the word of God. That's how they've not renewed their identity to the word of God. That's how it's not, it's not mind blowing to me because I understand the process. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So the problem is they got saved, but they never renewed their mind. So they just continue to conform to this world system though they agree that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. That's not a, that's not a mystery to me. That's how it works. If you don't, if you don't transform, you'll conform. And I want you to put that in the comments. If I don't transform, I will conform. If I don't transform, I will conform. That's the whole revelation that Paul's giving the Roman believers here. If I don't transform, I will conform. Hallelujah. We've got to get it. So what's it talking about here? An identity change, a mind change, right? If I don't renew my mind to the kingdom culture, then I'll be conformed to the world's culture. That's just how it works. It's not, it's not even a deep principle. It's not even complex or hard to understand. It's just that nobody acknowledges it. I shouldn't say nobody. Many people don't acknowledge it. That if I don't transform, I will conform. If I don't transform, I will conform. And how do you transform? By the renewal of your mind. So what renews your mind? The word of God does. The word of God does. The word of God does Ephesians chapter five. You ready for it? The word of God does. You ready for this? Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 and 26 and 27. Ephesians five verses 25, 26 and 27. Zach, did we lose picture over here? What's going on? Let me read it to you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, having, 
uh, or, or loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now watch this, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. You see that? By the washing of water with the word. I'm back. So that he might, I'm back. The camera demon. Um, So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. It's all right. Because people say I have a voice, uh, I have a face for radio anyway. Um, I'm sure Dylan was extremely happy when my face disappeared. I was waiting for the you have a face for radio anyway comment. Um, Again, Ephesians 5. The camera died and came back again. Ephesians 5. I speak resurrection life into that camera body. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Look at it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now watch that he might sanctify her having cleansed her with what? The washing of water with the word. You see that by the washing of water with the word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see that now? What washes the body of Christ? What washes the body of Christ? You see it here? The word. Washing of water with the word. Glory to God. Washing of water with the word. Hallelujah. And I want you to put it in the comments today. The word washes me. Glory to God. The word washes me. Put that in the comments. So how do you get, how do you get transformed? How do you get the renewal of your mind? With the washing of water by the word. With the washing of water by the word. With the water, here's the, here's the, here's the deal. The word of God is a mirror to you. It's a mirror. It's like a man beholding himself in a mirror, the Bible says. So understand, when you are constantly looking at yourself in the mirror of God's word, you can see what's out of place. You can see. And then what happens? It builds a conviction in your spirit. Builds a conviction in your spirit. And you start to read and read and intake and intake and ingest and ingest. And what happens? It's it's renewing your mind. It's transforming you. So that... When you go to take a contradictory action, what happens to you? The conviction wells up in your spirit because that word that's been in you starts to convict you. No, 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 no. You know better than this. You're not called to complain. You're not called to be depressed. You're not called to moan. You're not called. No, no, no. You're called to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Those things start popping up in your spirit. When you go to complain, when you go to start talking about somebody behind their back and gossiping about somebody, and then the, those things start to pop up in your spirit. No, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm called to be. No, I'm called to rejoice in the Lord always. I'm called to cast all my care upon him for he cares for me. And you start getting those principles enacted that renew your mind. Then you go to take an action. And what happens? The word starts convicting you. The Holy Ghost starts talking to you through the word that's already in you. And then you can't conform because now 
Not only am I empowered by the Holy Ghost to take actions that, uh, of self-control, but I have something to compare myself to, to know that I need that self-control. It's like how Paul, and we're going through in Bible study made simple, uh, every Monday, we got a new video that comes out for our students. And uh, we're going to open that up again in October if you want to jump in. Uh, But we're going through Galatians right now. And one of the things that Paul let the Galatians understand was that when, when the law was given, sin came alive. What, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? How would you know if it's a sin if there was no law? Right? How would you know it was wrong if no one said, don't do this? Right? If, and I gave the example of going on the, the interstate or the, the highway in, in third world countries where there's no posted speed limit. And people are just flying. You're like holding on for dear life. They're flying, weaving in and out of traffic, third world highways. And you're like, man, we're going to die in this car today. And you're like, hold on a second. But you know what? You know what the story is? There's no, so who can pull them over with no speed limit and say, hey, you were going too fast. What is, what's too fast? It's all relative at that point. There's no law constraining me, right? So what is too fast? And that's what the law, the law of God, the law of Moses when the law came, sin came alive. Why? Because now there's something to break. Now there's something to break. There's a law to break. So that means now sin comes alive because now if I don't obey the law, sin lives, sin dwells in me. You see what I mean? But now that we're under the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and we see the word of God, the Holy spirit lives in us. As I just read to you, which now means he's constantly convicting you to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. That's why I call the word of God, the the fruit of the spirit, the personality traits of Jesus. Amen. And so I'll give you, I'm going to give you right quick. This is what the Lord gave me that night that I'm, I'm working on right now for you guys, because this will help you if you're in the ministry, this will help you if you're in a volunteer, this will help you if you're in business as a Christian, doesn't matter. It's kingdom culture that's defined. It is kingdom culture that's defined. If you want to go back into all of the teaching, I think Aaron could tell you, but I think I did multiple days. I think I did three days or four days uh, of teaching this system, but I want to run through it with you. This is 99% of Christians do not do this. They don't conform their life to a kingdom culture code that defines everything they do, but this will help you. If you're a pastor watching me, this will help the volunteers at your church. This will help the staff at your church. It'll help you. If you're a Christian with a business, this will help you and your employees. If you're a stay at home mom that's serving Jesus, this will help you with your kids because it doesn't matter where you stand as a believer, this will help you. And these are the things as I was praying that night, the Lord dropped these and as Aaron referenced three days, as Aaron referenced, we called it the H nine system. I don't know if we're going to stick with that, but that's what I called it at the time. The H nine system, nine different, uh, codes a code filled with nine different points that the Lord gave me all in one moment. I mean, it, it flooded out of me into the, into my notes and I put it down. Are you ready for it? I'm going to give you those nine and I'll show you how we're defining kingdom culture for our life, our ministry, our staff, our volunteers. Are you ready? Number one in our kingdom culture, these are the nine things that define it. Number one, we are happy. We're happy. Joy defines our culture. It's the fuel for purpose. It keeps us strong, keeps us productive and ensures we'll never creep into bitterness. So number one, we're happy. Hallelujah. We're happy. Number two, we're humble. We're humble. 
Pride will never be a part of our kingdom culture. Why? God resists the proud and he gives more grace to the humble. So we're not just happy, we're humble. We're not just happy, we are humble. Coming around, always being, you'll never work in my ministry. Like if I ever saw somebody working in my ministry and they're just always depressed, they're, all, they're like always sitting around moping, around, that, that's, that's a fireable offense. You can't come and work at Miracle Word Ministries. You can't be a part of this team and depressed all the time. We'll let you go. We will let you go because joy defines our culture. It's one of the things that the Lord has literally anointed me to deal with in this ministry is spirit of heaviness and depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. We drive it out by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so we're happy people. We're humble people because we're not going to get into pride. Pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall. And so you know what? We're humble people. We're humble people. Hallelujah. Number three, we hustle. Number three, we hustle. We're happy. We're humble. We hustle. What does that mean? We are diligent and faithful. We're self-motivated and resourceful. Nobody has to come checking by my office to see if I'm still working. I hustle. I run this ministry and I hustle. I hustle. I'm always doing something. You have to keep up. <laughs> They're gonna have, people have to keep up with me because I'm always growing. I'm always learning. I'm always working. I'm always pushing forward because I hustle. I'm not going to be lazy. Laziness will never be a part of my life. I'm diligent. I'm resourceful. I'm motivated. I don't need somebody to motivate me. I don't need, I don't need somebody to come, come on now, Ted, let's go. You got to get back to work. You know, there's people that are on their way to hell. You need to get work. No, I hustle. In fact, I, I had to actually have the Lord speak to me to back off a little bit because I was going so hard. But I, I told the Lord, I'll, you know, I'll go as hard as you want me to go. We hustle. Number four, we honor. We honor. I could do a whole broadcast on how if you have a lack of honor in your life, it brings you to destruction. It straight up brings you to destruction. Dishonor brings you to destruction. We prefer others above ourselves at all times. We honor others. We, we, no, let me say it this way. This will, this will help every day I'm hustling. Let me, let me help you with this. You ready? We honor up, we honor sideways, and we honor down. Most people only ever honor up. Most people only ever honor up. You say, what does that mean? Only honoring those above you. Only honoring those that are beyond you. Only honoring those that can do something for you. Anyone can do that. But in our ministry, we honor up, we honor sideways, and we honor down. What does it mean to do that? What does it practically look like to do that? We honor those above us. We honor our pastor. We honor the men of God that speak into our lives. We honor those that have gone before us. Those are beyond us. But we also honor those that are our peers, those that are on our level. I have people in my life that they are, uh, you know, they're, they're my age. They're working in ministry. They're, they would be considered my peers. But I, don't, but I don't like dishonor them because they're not above me or they're not my pastor. Or they're not somebody that speaks into my life. I honor them as co-laborers in Christ Jesus. I honor my peers, but on, on, on the, at the same time, I don't just honor up and honor sideways, I honor down. Just because somebody is uh, just starting out or they're, they're, they're not 
at your level or, you know, maybe it doesn't matter. We honor everybody. Honor, honor them. Speak to them honorably. Treat them honorably. Amen. Love them. And we do that. Honor up, honor sideways, honor down. You know what the truth, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the truest picture of integrity, how you can see who someone is. How do they treat people that can do nothing for them? That's a test right there. How do you treat people that can do nothing that can't help you? They can't increase you. They can't promote you. How do you treat people that can do nothing for you? That's the sign of who you really are. Not how you treat your boss, how you treat your pat. None of that. How do you treat people that can do nothing for you? I call that honoring down or people that are just starting out or people that are beneath you, below you. You see what I mean? Honor up, honor sideways, honor down. We honor. That is a integral, that's an integral part of our culture. We honor. Number five, we're helpful. We don't find problems. We provide solutions. We don't find problems. We provide solutions. We're helpful people. I'm not looking for the problems. I'm looking for the ways to make things better. Let me tell you something that'll, that'll catapult you head and shoulders above the rest at your job. Instead of being like everybody else and show, telling your boss everything that's wrong with the team, everything that's wrong with the business, everything that's wrong with the office, why don't when you have something that you're wanting to change, why don't you present your boss with three options, three avenues that could actually make that thing better? You know, I, I didn't want to just come to you with an issue. I wanted to show you that I'm, I'm actually working to help you out. And I've been brainstorming this. And here's three things I think we could do to make this better for everybody. Let me tell you, what you've just done is help your boss, manager, whoever. Because they don't want to, they've already got a ton to do. They don't want to sit there and have to think about what, sh what should I do to make that better. They don't have time. They will appreciate the fact that you put the time in and you brainstormed it and you provided a solution. Not a problem, a s three solutions. Here's three things I think we could do. That's what helpful people do. Helpful people aren't finding problems, they're presenting solutions. And that one right there will get you promoted. That'll get you promoted. That's right, Ben. And Ben knows what I'm talking about because he has managed groups of people for a long time. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. He doesn't have time to listen to every single person's problem. This, I think this is wrong, this is wrong. Present me with pro solutions, opportunities to change it for the better. That'll get you promoted. Number six, we're hungry. We are hungry people. We're hungry for God's presence and we're hungry for God's word. That defines our culture. We're hungry people. We're hungry for God's presence and we're hungry for God's word. Hunger ensures that we'll continue to be blessed. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Glory to God. They'll be filled. Number seven, we're holy. We stay free from sin. We stay free from sin. Defines our culture. Holiness defines our culture. You say, well, that's, isn't that like an obvious one? Not in this day and age, it's not. Not, not in 2022 church. Not in 2023 church. Not in 2024 church of Jesus tarries. It is not uh, simply an unmentionable, well, of course we all say, no, no, no. There's plenty of people that don't even think holiness is important, but we are holy. Number eight, we are hospitable. We are generous givers. 
I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to be a generous giver for the rest of my life. And it's only going to increase. It's part of my kingdom culture code. I am going to be more generous than I've ever been in the kingdom of God. I'm going to sow like I've never sown in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Going to sow like I've never sown. Number nine, we are heavenly minded. We are heavenly minded. What does that mean? Outreach, evangelism. We understand time is short. We've got eternity on our minds. We've got eternity on our minds. People are dying and on their way to hell. Jesus is coming soon. So number one, we're happy. We're humble. We hustle. We honor. We're helpful. We're hungry. We're holy. We're hospitable and we're heavenly minded. And I wrote that down and now I'm I'm working on the book uh, to to release to those that, that need it. And I'm telling you right now that most Christians never set up. So, so what do I mean by that? They never set up that, uh, that culture in their life. So when, when they start deviating from these things, it never rings like an alarm bell in their mind. It never rings like an alarm bell in their mind that, you know, they, and they stop being helpful and, but it never rings is not part of their culture. And then they start get complaining and they say, this is what I don't like about this church. And this is what I don't like about this boss. And this is what I, and it never, alarm bells never ring because they don't have a, any kind of a code of culture they've put up in front of their face that they say, this is what I'm living by this. And these are all based. I have scriptures for every one. Of course, you know that, but there's, this is all scriptural content. I'm called to make an impact for the better. If I'm walking around, let me tell you something. If I'm walking around for three straight days and I'm sitting around moping around, sitting around depressed, downcast, and I got an issue and I just can't get out of my funk. Nothing's ever, where's the alarm bell going off that I'm not, that's not who I am. I'm happy. I'm full of joy. I'm full of peace. I've got the Holy ghost. Why, why are alarm bells not going off? You know why they're not going off in Christian's mind? They don't have this set of code of conduct that they've set as a culture code to say, no, no, no. As a Christian, I don't walk around downcast. I don't walk around depressed. I don't walk around anxious. I don't lose my peace. That's not who I am. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I got the Holy Ghost in me. He's the source of my joy. He's the source of my peace. He's the comforter. He's the source of my strength. I don't sit around for three days moping around and we're, I don't know. That ain't me. And the alarm bells should be ringing that my culture is being contradicted. My culture's being contradicted. My culture's being contradicted. You know, if I start realizing, hold on a second. Somebody asked me something and my response came off a little bit uh, prideful. My response, the way I was talking, I was taking a little too much credit for myself. I was a little prideful. I, I seemed a little prickly to me. I was a little bit haughty in that. Why are the alarm bells should be ringing? Hold on. I need to get, I need to get, I need to humble myself so that God can exalt me. I need to stop talking like that. I need to be more humble. I need to stop being so prickly. I need to stop being so haughty, so full of myself. Alarm bells should ring immediately, immediately. No, no, that that ain't me. I'm, I'm humble. I, I, I'm, I'm humble. I should, I should ring. That should ring. You know, that, that laziness tries to creep in. So I'm just not going to do anything. I, I'm just, I'm, you take your foot off the gas, throw life into cruise control. Alarm bells should immediately ring. No, no, no. I'm not lazy. I hustle. I'm a hustler. <laughs> I'm a hustler. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, this will help you forever. This is a, 99% of Christians never do this. That's why they coast through life. 
That's why they never see increase. That's why they just, 20 years, you see them. They're the same place they were 20 years. You haven't even seen them. You moved out of state. You went back and you're like, dude. And it's like, man, you tell your husband or wife, like, man, it seems like nothing's changed. They seem like they're at the same place they were 15 years ago. I mean, literally put a hand up in the comments if you've experienced that. Maybe you moved back home and you encountered somebody. And it's like, it's like no time has passed in their life. I mean, am I the only one? Am I the only one that you go back, you go back somewhere. He's like, man, I hadn't seen him in 10, 10 years. It's like, geez, it's like nothing's changed. They're like in the same place, doing the same thing. No increase, just maintaining in life. That's a sad thing. That's a sad thing. Stephen, for you, that's just a time management and priority problem. You have a time management and a priority problem. That's why you set up a bunch of things and you never finish them. It's because you have poor time management and you have poor priority setting. You fix those two things and everything will be smooth. Everything will be smooth. It's one thing to, to start projects. It's a totally different thing to finish them. So you either have bad time management, bad systems to keep you on task, or you have bad prioritization and you, and you allow yourself to put things that don't matter above the things that truly do matter that you want to finish and they don't get finished. So you either need, or, or all three of them are wrong and you have poor time management, poor, poor systems to keep you on task and poor prioritization. But if you just, you fix those things, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And, and then stuff will start getting done. See, you can't do everything. That's what people have to realize. You can't do everything. It's, it's an illusion that you're going to be able to do everything. You can't. You have to focus on what's important. That allows you to prioritize what's important in your life. Make a list of it. You make a list of it and say, you know what? There's a lot of stuff that's just constant busy work, but there's goals that I have to set that I want to see them get done. It's like Stephen wrote a book and he wants to get that book out the door. And maybe he feels led to write more books. But you know what? It's a big, it's a big task and you have to take it on in bite-sized chunks, but you've got to prioritize them. Anything that you're watching me that you want to do, if it's important, if it's part of your call, prioritize it above other things and then put systems in place, task lists, reminders, schedules, calendars that will put those things in front of your face. And then you say, you know what? I'm biting a little chunk off every day, but I'm doing it first because I prioritize it. I've given myself a timeline. I've got deadlines. I'm going to hit them and I'm going to cut other things out of my life, time management, so that I can get those important things done first. And the Lord will help you. The Lord will help you with it. <clears throat> the Lord will help you with it. That's part of uh, Ninja. I would say that that's part of number nine, heavenly minded with outreach and evangelism. We, we harvest, we are harvesting souls. No question about it. No question about it. And I'm going to pray for you today because let me tell you, if you're in the 1% of believers that will do this, it will put you so far <clears throat> head and shoulders above the rest. Your life will not look like anybody's around you. People will look at you like you're an anomaly because you've simply made a decision to create from scripture and live by that kingdom culture code of conduct. That'll be, you'll be like, I mean, I'm telling you, when I tell you that no one does it, I mean, nobody I, I've traveled. I've been around this country. I've been to other countries. Most people are coasting through life. Most people, most people. And if you'll be the one that says, you know what, I'm going to put these in place and let God's word define every action I'm taking. You will be head and shoulders above the rest. 
People, I, I said that in a broadcast one time and somebody wrote in the comments, I hope you don't mean head and shoulders above my brothers and sisters in Christ, brother, because I don't believe in that. We should all be at the same level. You're dumb. You're dumb because it's clear from even from scripture, not everybody's going to be at the same level. Not everybody's going to be at the same level. You know, Paul, did you know Paul was irritated at the Corinthian church? Irritated at them because they had an abundance of spiritual gifts and manifestation, but they were all immature babies. And he said, it shouldn't be. You should not still be immature babies. He said, I'm ticked off that I got to come back here and keep giving you milk. You shouldn't have to have milk. I should be able to give you meat now, but you're staying babies. I got to come back here and change your diaper and your poo-poos and your pee-pees. That's what Paul, he's ticked off. You shouldn't be, you should not be immature still. So guess what? Everybody's not at the same level. So to have that mindset, well, I, I hope, I hope they don't, I hope that you don't mean above my brothers and sisters in Christ. No question, everyone in the body of Christ is going to be at different levels. You know why? Because the level at which you live is based upon your dedication and faithfulness. That's why. Not everybody's going to be in the same place. And it's all right because God's not a communist. God is not a Marxist. This is not, uh, you know, equal distribution of wealth. God is one who rewards based upon faithful diligence and obedience. And if Christians decide to be obedient, if Christians decide to be faithful and diligent, God's eyes are looking for them. And when he finds them, he shows himself strong and mighty on their behalf. It's a covenant, not a promise. You see what I mean? And I'm telling you, if you'll do this, it'll put you head and shoulders above the rest. And that's where God wants you. God wants you at another level every single week to go higher, 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 and higher. And you are going higher in Jesus' name. This is our year of divine possession. You're going to have what you've never had. You're going to do what you've never done. You're going to go where you've never gone in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the Victory Tribe. Thank you for hungry, helpful people. I pray today that you would put this like a fire in their belly to make up their mind. We're not going to be like everybody else. We're, we're not going to let the world's culture define us, our family culture, our ethnic culture, our geographical culture. That will never override the kingdom culture in my life. My, the word defines my actions. The word defines my, my life. And we're going to keep it that way and see your increase, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray. Lord, help those that are believing to take big steps of faith this year. Help them. Strengthen them. I pray that you would empower them to do what they've never done, to go where they've never gone. Let our minds be transformed by the renewing of the mind through the washing of water by your word in Jesus name. Let our minds be renewed. We refuse to conform to this world system. We give you thanks. We give you praise in Jesus mighty name. Everybody shout amen if you're thankful for it. At the end of this broadcast on Friday, I want to challenge you today to sow a seed. One, you don't forget one of those uh, points in our, in our code, in our kingdom culture, we are hospitable people. We are generous givers. And I want to encourage you to take a step of faith. Have you ever stood in partnership with Carolyn and with me? If not, I want to ask you to consider doing that. Pray about it and say, Lord, what can I do to stand with Miracle Word, to stand with Ted and Carolyn? 
as they're reaching this generation with the power of the Holy Ghost. Be a part of the Victory Tribe. So what is the Victory Tribe? They're people that are praying for us constantly. They're people that are sowing seed and believing for increase in this ministry and in their own personal lives as well. We lost the camera again. The camera is sure that I have a face for radio. You can go to miracleword.com and sow your seed. You can stand with us in partnership. We thank you. For everybody that is, I'm going to be sending you uh, Pastor Mark Hankins' book, The Bloodline of a Champion, The Power of the Blood of Jesus. No matter what you sow this month, this is our gift to you to say thank you. And so if you want to receive this book, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer. Let us know how you've sown your seed. Let us know where we can send this and we will send it to you ASAP. In the month of August, it's our way of saying thank you for standing with us before Jesus comes back, reaching the lost. We love you very much. Thank you for spending time with me. Again, tonight, our final service in um, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Life in Christ Church. We love pastors Joe and Sarah so very much. Again, if you've got friends or family in this area, this is the church you need to send them to. This church will help them, bless them, raise them up. This is the church I would attend if I lived here. And so I wanna encourage you, anybody you know that's in the Lancaster area, get them here. Tonight's the last scheduled night of revival, live at seven o'clock p.m. New York City time. If you're close, get here. Get here, drive, jump in the car, get here. If not, jump online. We're on all platforms and uh, we will see you tonight at seven o'clock. I love you so much. Have a great day and I'll talk to you soon. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.